1: It's Rico Daily. I'm Adam Clark Estes. Broadband internet access has gone from a luxury to a necessity for every American. Yet large parts of the country still lack access to decent internet. And several administrations have tried to solve this problem. Broadband expansion had been an initiative for President
0: Trump. These funds will help ensure that every community is connected and has access to modern infrastructure, including broadband internet.
1: President Obama. The FCC is announcing a down payment of
0: $2 billion
1: to connect more than 15,000 schools and 20 million students
0: to high-speed broadband over the next two years.
1: And even as far back as President George W. Bush.
0: And broadband technology is going to be incredibly important for us to stay on the cutting edge of innovation here in America.
1: But none of their efforts compares to President Biden's bipartisan infrastructure bill and its broadband expansion plan.
0: Millions of Americans, though, lack access to reliable high-speed Internet, including more than 35 percent of rural America. It's a disparity even more
1: pronounced during this pandemic. But will it work? How is the money going to be spent? And who is in charge of spending it? Here to give us some insight on the plan is Blair Levin. He's a former chief of staff at the FCC. He was executive director of the 2010 National Broadband Plan and is currently a non-resident fellow at the Brookings Institution. So I think it's fairly common knowledge that broadband access in the United States is not great. Just how many households are still in need of broadband at this point?
0: I think when you ask that question, you're really asking two different questions. One is the question of how many homes do not have access to any network capable of what we think of as broadband? And I've seen estimates between roughly speaking seven and 20 million homes. Then the second question is how many homes have access to a network, but have chosen not to adopt it with the largest reason being they can't afford it. Those estimates vary very widely. But my guess is it's probably an additional 20 to 40 million homes.
1: And that phrase you used, what we think of broadband, what is the official definition in terms of speed?
0: Well, the official definition currently is 25 megabits down and three megabits up. I think most people recognize that's not sufficient. There is a very robust debate about whether we ought to be funding anything other than fiber. It's pretty clear based on the use cases coming out of COVID that You don't necessarily need that. But why, the question then would be, why would you fund a lesser experience when you know that down the road you're going to have to upgrade it? So the definition of broadband is going to keep shifting. When I did the National Broadband Plan back in 2010, the average speed was four megabits down, one megabit up. The FCC then adopted that as the standard for broadband, and it kept increasing it while the Democrats were in charge. It hasn't been increased in the last four or five years. In what
1: ways does the lack of high-speed internet inhibit those who don't have access to it?
0: Well, we could spend the rest of the conversation uh, talking about that, but I'll, I'll make three fundamental points. Number one, if you have a kid going to school, they can't do their homework. And I know that they can, they can do their work, they know their work, and, and the only thing is, that's hindering them is the connection to the teacher. And number two, if you don't have broadband, you are missing all kinds of far more convenient and better ways of doing healthcare.
1: Telehealth, a broader term used to define all medical services and health education delivered digitally, has grown steadily as an industry. America's healthcare system has skipped the test run and jumped to using telemedicine as a primary means of care during the coronavirus pandemic.
0: In February of 2020, less than 1% of Medicare visits were online in April went to about 40% of the visits. It wasn't because of a change of technology. There were some rule changes that were necessary, but the big point was it was a lot safer to do certain kinds of medical check-ins with your doctor. Particularly for senior citizens, one of the most dangerous places in the world is a hospital. And then third, in terms of workforce development, you can't really search for a job, apply for a job, interview for a job, unless you have broadband today.
1: ZipRecruiter helped with my job search. Doing the heavy lifting for me, so I can apply with a click.
0: So education, healthcare, workforce development, those are three very important things for being able to participate in the society and economy. Can't really do it now without
1: broadband. And can you tell me a little bit more about where there's the most need for expanded broadband?
0: Again, there are two big fundamental problems. One is places that don't have networks. And the second is people who can't afford the networks. I think when you look at it on a per capita basis, the latter is more important that is to say, we've really got to solve the problem of affordability for low-income people. Congress took a big step and is funding, a program to do that. But it's not permanent funding, and we've got to figure out a way. But certainly there are those in rural America who think that their problem of lack of access to broadband is bigger. I think we have the capacity. We really just ought to solve both of those problems. And indeed, the Biden administration
1: is working on it. They made broadband access a big part of their infrastructure bill. How much money did they set aside for expanding internet infrastructure? And in your view, is it enough?
0: There really are four different buckets that you might look at. But the one that most people think about is in the infrastructure bill, broadband got $65 billion. 42.5 is going to go to the states for deployment. About another six is going to other deployment efforts. And then the remainder is going to affordability efforts and digital training and things like that. But in addition, in an earlier piece of legislation, Treasury got $10 billion to give to the states for broadband deployment. And then in legislation that passed at the beginning of 2021, there was $350 billion going to states and cities for different uses for which broadband was eligible. And I think about 10% of that, so it's called $35 billion, is going to go to broadband. That means that basically we've got about $100 billion for broadband deployment. Back in 2017, the FCC did a very thorough study saying we need about $80 billion to connect the remaining locations that don't have a fiber or fiber-like connection. They have since spent about $23 billion, which means that $100 billion definitely ought to be enough. But whether it will be or not, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Uh, but we should have enough money to solve certainly the access problem. We have to design the program for low income and find a permanent source of funding.
1: Right, because it sounds like where a lot of that money is going is actually building out the network in places where there wasn't broadband access before. But what is the government doing to help people actually afford broadband once the infrastructure is in place?
0: Well, the biggest thing is uh, during an earlier COVID bill, there was something called the emergency broadband benefit that gave $50 a month to keep people online. We really wanted to keep people connected. There were obviously good reasons for that. Then in the infrastructure bill, Congress said fifteen probably is a little bit more than we need, so 30 bucks a month. This is the, what's called the Affordability Connectivity Program. The FCC is administering it. It should last about three to five years, but Congress is also requiring the FCC to come up with a new framework for universal service. And I should note that the cost of operating networks in rural America on a per capita basis is also higher. So even if you fund 100% of the CapEx, there will be some rural telephone providers or cable companies or whoever wins the contract who will still need additional operating expense subsidies. So you need a plan that on a permanent basis fills both the OPEX shortfall as well as the low income shortfall. And you mentioned a second
1: ago that a lot of this money was going to the states so that they could decide how to spend it. Is that unusual? Wouldn't the FCC normally just spend the money where they thought it was needed?
0: Yes, (laughs) it's very unusual. since you know at least the 1930s and arguably before the agency which is now the FCC has had been the principal and I would argue only real government agency with the mission of assuring that there is deployment of communications networks everywhere in America and that everybody can afford them. Fundamentally the Trump FCC at the very end of the Trump administration ran what's called a reverse auction that was highly controversial but the way they ran it led to a lot of people being funded who shouldn't have been funded and a lot of other problems. And the Congress, for a variety of reasons, decided, we can't really trust the FCC to do this. We're going to give the money to the states. There is no state that has an organization, an institution within the state government that is designed to do what Congress has asked the states to do. When Congress asked the states to spend money to build roads and fix bridges, there's a Department of Transportation in every state that knows how to do precisely that. There's a lot of progress being made. But one of the challenges for the states is how do you kind of put up an, an institution that can do this job, knowing that there will be no further funding like this ever again. So it's not like you say, well, we really need to build something here. This is a one-time event, but it can be done. But it's a lot of responsibility for the states.
1: So they're not necessarily setting up the Department of Internet or Department of Broadband. But what kinds of processes do you think states should implement to take advantage of what, like you said, could be a -a once-in-a-generation opportunity? There's a
0: political challenge of getting a consensus and doing community engagement and things like that. There's an institutional challenge of making sure that even if you don't have a permanent institution, you understand who's the decision maker. There's an analytic challenge of mapping and collecting data and then modeling so that the decision-maker, probably the governor, has good data on which to base their decisions. And then finally, there's the competitive grant-making as well as the enforcement of those grants. So those are the series of challenges that the states need to do.
1: And I guess how worried are you that there will be the proper amount of oversight to make sure that money is spent properly, that broadband access is being
0: improved? Congress decided to give this authority to the states. It is being overseen by the Department of Commerce through an agency called NTIA. But at the end of the day, it is really up to the governors to do this. A few years ago, I might have been very nervous about this. I will say, in my dealings with various states since March of 2020, I've been struck by the fact that governors, on a very bipartisan basis, understand they need to get networks everywhere in their state and they need to get everybody on them. You could look at it as well, obviously, that's true. And therefore, it should be bipartisan. But there's so much partisanship in the country right now. It was interesting broadband kind of avoided that partisanship. I think everybody has what we might think of as small-D democratic empathy for the problem created by a lack of broadband. Having said that, you know, ask me again three years from now. uh, There's probably going to be a few cases where that shouldn't have happened. Whether the Department of Commerce catches it before it happens, whether the governor catches it before it happens, we'll see. Well, looking ahead, can you give us a
1: rough timeline of how long it's going to take before the states start breaking out their shovels and actually laying fiber and building networks?
0: NTIA has to do some rulemakings in the first six months of this year. The states have to develop their own state plans in the next six months. There will be some small checks going out this year, but the real work, I would guess, would be in the second half of next year.
1: Blair, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Great
0: to be here. Today's episode
1: was produced by John Ahrens and engineered by Melissa Ponce from Hemlock Creek Productions. I'm Adam clark Estes. Thanks for listening.